Well, it's my privilege this morning to introduce to you uh, our special guest. He's someone that you are familiar with, but you've probably never seen. His name is Peter. He's coming to us uh, from Galilee. That's where he's from. He's a fisherman there, coming uh, across a long period of time. Actually, uh, Pastor Todd is, is uh, on his way to Galilee today. At least he's closer to Galilee than you and I are. So we want you to kind of use some imagination this morning. And we're going to enter into uh, a prison cell where Peter is at the uh, last part of his life. And we've come to hear his, him share his testimony with us of his relationship with Jesus. Would you welcome Peter? Thank you for coming to visit me. I'm, I can't tell you how much I enjoy getting out of my cell and an opportunity to share with you Jesus. I know that you came here to hear my testimony, but I think what you really came was to hear about Jesus. I don't know how much time they're going to give me, so we should be in a hurry here. For me, it began, I was a fisherman by trade. My brother Andrew and I, we owned several fishing boats, and we, had a pretty good, we did a pretty good living. Now, we weren't going to get rich, but we made enough to pay the rent and feed ourselves and have a little bit of money left over after that. And, you know, at one time I thought I might write a book about fishing. And I thought I would title it, Knowing Fish. But uh, with all my busyness and helping John Mark uh, write the story of Christ and some letters that I wrote to the church myself and visiting them, well, I just got rather busy. And to be very honest with you, I've kind of lost interest in fishing. Uh, I now want to fish for the souls of men. You know, it all started about 35 years ago. My brother Andrew came running into the house. He was so excited, all out of breath. He was then a disciple of John the Baptist. And he said, I have found the Messiah. You need to meet him. And he drug me out and out we went. And I will tell you, the first time I saw Jesus, he looked very ordinary. I mean, he was an incredible man. And just within a few minutes, I knew that he was extraordinary. I've never seen such a powerful man, so confident, and yet so full of humility. You know, it was a funny thing. The first thing he'd said to me is, he changed my name. You know, I had, uh, my parents named me Simeon, Simon. That name had worked pretty good for me. But he had the audacity. The first time he saw me, he said, from now on we'll call you Cephas. That's Aramaic for, as you know, the Greek, Peter. And it meant rock. I wish I could tell you that my life had been one of stability and always there to be counted upon. But I must admit, there are times when I was not. It was only a few days later, Andrew and I were fishing and had caught a fairly good size amount of fish. And Jesus came walking down the shores of Galilee and he saw us again and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, I know a, uh, a, a word of thought, and I understand uh, a metaphor as well as the next guy, but fishers of men? I, I didn't know what that was. I knew what follow me was, so we dropped our nets, and I figured, well, he must have us in some kind of service business where we're going to be recruiting other people to join him. Little did I know. 
It was just a few days later on that same Galilean shore. We were walking along and we saw John and Mark and their dad Zebedee. They too were mending their nets on the shoreline and he told them, follow me. And they, like us, dropped everything that they had and they followed Jesus. Now, John and Mark, uh, I've been accused of sometimes uh, being too fiery with my personality. And I've been told that I, I speak too much and that I get angry and passionate. Let me tell you, James and John, they were known as the sons of thunder. Now, no reflection on their father, but these boys, uh, if you're ever in a fight, you want these guys on your side. Sons of thunder indeed. I remember there was a time when the Samaritans didn't like the message that Christ was bringing. And James and John wanted to bring down fire from heaven and roast them. Sons of thunder indeed. John was always the one that Jesus loved. Yeah. They were his cousins and they were closest friends. I shouldn't be too harsh on them. They were, in fact, my closest friends. You know, to this day, I... I, I still think about James and, you know, he was martyred. And how God had allowed me to live. Uh, They had taken so much pleasure in the crucifixion of James that they sought me out. But his angel came and set me free. But I never quite got over why James was allowed to martyr. Now, in the 30 years, I've seen lots of martyrs for the faith. It's the blood of the martyrs that has built the church. If you don't know much about Palestine, the tradition was that the disciples would go and find a rabbi worthy of following. But this was different. Jesus called us. And when you're called to follow a rabbi, you drop everything. We dropped our business. We walked away from our relationships, all to be taught closely as a pupil of Jesus. I can tell you many stories. I remember the Sabbath, uh, the first Sabbath we were walking along and Jesus was teaching us some incredible insights. He had such a way of putting his finger right on passages of the Old Testament, teaching in a fresh new way. We were kind of hungry. And as we walked along, I got some wheat from the field and I rubbed it and we were just about to take a bite. From then on, the Pharisees seemed to come out of nowhere. These folks, they were like malaria. They never went away. And they said, why do you let them do this? Don't you know it's against the law of Moses? Well, by the time Jesus got through with them, he said, you know, he was greater than David. He was greater than Solomon. He was greater than the temple. Boy, from that day on, the Pharisees had set about to get him. It wasn't us they were after. It was Jesus. I remember a time on the stormy sea. We were in a boat. and I have been on the sea all my life. I've fished on it. I know what storms are. But this storm, it looked like Satan himself had brought this storm about. We knew we were going to die. And we said, Master, are you just going to abandon us and leave us here to die? He was asleep. He got up out of the boat and walked back to us and he held up his hand and he said, Stop it! Wow. The wind and the waves and the storm literally obeyed him. We were now more afraid than ever. We looked at him and said, 
What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, Jesus never asked simple questions. We were never afraid to listen and answer. But he says, what are you afraid of? (laughs) We stood there shaking. We were fearful. We were in awe of him. I had seen him heal. I had seen him heal blind and heal lepers, heal the lame. I was with him when he healed Jairus' daughter. I was even there when he raised Lazarus from the grave. You know, I remember the look in his face as he looked at Martha and Mary. And there was a side after the sympathy and the heartbreak that he had for them. There was an anger in his eyes. It was like he could see death and he could see Satan and the sin of life was really what was grasping at everybody. And I can still remember he said, Lazarus, come forth. If he had just said, come forth, we think everybody in the tomb would have come out. Even death obeyed him. Wow. What a strength. What a power that he had. Uh, The last, uh, I've got to tell you, it was that last time in the boat. I don't think James and John ever got over this. Uh, I walked out on the water. They still talk about it. Yeah. They never could quite top that one. That was good. You know, as we got down to the last week, when we came into Jerusalem, it was a Sunday. I won't ever forget it. Jesus rode in on a donkey. And they were thinking, Hosanna, praise God to the highest. We thought, this is it. This is the glorious time that we've been waiting for. And it was like they were expecting their king. We went in and all that week when Jesus was there, he taught in such powerful ways. On Monday, uh, after the, that Sunday, he went in and he taught and people began to flock and follow him. Tuesday was no different. And to later that day on Tuesday... He walked in and he saw all the uh, business that was being transacted and the cheating that was done there. And he got angry and he turned over the tables and threw out the cash register and pushed the people out of the temple and said, you've made my father's house a den of iniquity. And it was James and John that said, yes, this is what I'm talking about. We were excited. God had come to restore his temple. But on Wednesday, Satan entered entered into the body of Judas Iscariot. And the plot was on to take his life. That Thursday, we went into the upper room to dine together for Passover. And as we were there, he began to talk again about leaving us. We were confused. We said, where are you going? We knew that uh, it gave us some great comfort that he told us this, but it confused us. That evening when we went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he gathered us together and he said, where I'm going you can't go. It's going to be a hard place. And tonight you will be ashamed of me. It says that 
I will strike the good shepherd and his sheep of the flock shall scatter abroad. And I looked and I said, we would never be ashamed of you. Never. I mean, I remember it was me, Lord, and, and I told him. I was not afraid to tell him. I would die for you. I said, it was me back in Caesarea Philippi who witnessed and said on behalf of all of us, you are the Messiah. I will never abandon you. I will never be ashamed of you. I'm proud of you. And he said, on this very day, all of you will be ashamed and flee. I said, look, I looked at Matthew. Maybe Matthew, you know, a, a tax collector. I could see him abandoning. And maybe even John and James, you know, gets a little hot and the heat's on. I could see them wilting too. And, and in fact, my own brother Andrew, I could see him taking off. But not me. Not me. Not Peter. I'll never abandon you. Sure, I made some mistakes before. Uh, that time in Caesarea where I stuck my foot in my mouth and I tried to keep you from coming down to Jerusalem for some important work you were doing. And, and tonight, when I refuse to let you wash my feet, I know I've made mistakes, but I'd never leave you. I'd never abandon you. I would never be ashamed of you. I was adamant. And Jesus looked at me and said, Peter, before this night is over, you will deny me three times. And then he took James and John and myself and he asked us to go a little further into the garden with him. And he said, pray for me. And then he separated himself and I'm so ashamed to tell you, I, I fell asleep. I, I knew that he was agonizing. I knew that he was going through some very difficult time, but I couldn't stay awake. He came back and woke me up and said, pray for me. He finally came back the second time and he said, get up, they're here. And I looked out and we could just see the shadows and we could see the soldiers with swords and clubs. And I said, I'll never let my Lord be taken. So I pulled out my sword and I could see them coming and I swung at one of them's throat. Hey, I'm a fisherman, not a soldier. I cut off his ear. And Jesus picked it up and put it back on this man. And then they took him away, and when they did, fear set into all of us. And all that brave talk that I had done, it just melted like wax. John had some connections, and he was able to get us into the house area where the trial was being taken and we saw them there in front of Caiaphas and we couldn't quite hear what was going on but we could see that they were upset and they were asking questions of Jesus and he stood there in quiet silence and finally he said I'll come on the clouds like God himself and Caiaphas ripped his clothes and said blasphemy then they began to spit at him and slap him and mock him. They blindfolded him. And I thought, what is going on? How can this be? This is the Messiah. And they taunted him. They said, can you see us now? And they would hit him as he was blindfolded. And as they were 
spitting on him and hitting him. And I tried to get a little closer and a young servant girl came out and said, don't I recognize you? Aren't you one of those disciples? And he said, no, I, I don't know this man. I, I denied him. And in fact, I got away from her and I moved away and so I could hear a little bit more. And shortly another servant came out and said, I do recognize you. You are one of the disciples, aren't you? And I said, look, I am not with this man. I don't know him. I even swore an oath, took an oath that I didn't know him. Malchus, the soldier whose ear I had cut off, he saw me. And he came up and he said, you are one of the disciples. And to try to prove that I wasn't, I started cursing. I said vile things. And I said, I never knew this man. I don't know him. It was at that point they were leading Jesus out of the court area. And just at that time when I had said that, our eyes caught one another. I was so ashamed. I, I felt my world had come to an end. And just when our eyes locked and I saw Jesus look right at pierced me to my heart. The cock crowed three times. Wow. I left there. I ran away. And then they took him to Pilate. And Pilate didn't want to have anything to do with this. Uh, but the, the Jews were demanding. And Pilate came out and said, Look, I find no fault with this man. It's our custom here that once, once a year, uh, we'll let someone be free. We've got Barabbas here. We can let him free or we can let Jesus go free. And I thought, this is good. Barabbas is a thief and a liar and an insurrectionist. Surely they'll call out for Jesus' freedom. But the Jews that hated him, they went through the crowd and said, Barabbas, free Barabbas. And then they hollered, crucify him. So Pilate took him back and had him beaten and scourged. Oh, the whips. These were nine-tailed whips that had glass and metal. And as I watched them beat him, tearing his flesh from his body and blood coming out, he then brought him back and they, they found this bush and they had made a crown of thorns and they pushed the thorns down on his head. These thorns were three or four inches long and there's just blood running down his face, the Messiah. I said, this can't be. How can this be? They put a robe on him and a, uh, some reeds in his hand and said, King of the Jews, here's your king. Pilate brought him back out and said, What would you have me do with him? And they said, Crucify him. He said, He's done nothing wrong. Crucify him anyhow. Our king is only Caesar. Golgotha isn't very far outside the city walls. And as he walked along, I, I stayed in the shadows and I hid back and I just watched and he stumbled and fell as he carried this massive cross. And then when they put him up on the cross and they nailed the nails into his wrists and hands, a new set of pain and agony set in. When the cross was established, was set up, it was raw, rugged timber and it dug into his flesh. And then he died. There was a man named Joseph 
of Arimathea and uh, Nicodemus. I call these men cowardly uh, believers. They believed in secret. They wouldn't come out. And here I was. I was bold. I was arrogant. Now that Jesus was dead, it was these two men who came out publicly and said, could we have the body of Jesus so we can give him a good burial? And here I was, the coward, hiding in the shadows. The roles had completely changed. I watched them as they wrapped him tightly in in the death clothes and they took him to the tomb. You know, I didn't sleep at all that night. All night long, I just had dreams of how he was tortured and beaten. The next day was no different. To me, it's all a fog. I can't remember much of it. I just remember how incredibly guilty and ashamed I was. And I can remember we had all gathered back up into the upper room, sitting there despondent. When the ladies broke into the room and said, His body is gone. And I said, What? His body, he, He's risen. He's not in the tomb anymore. And I, I thought, Could this be? Could this be what Jesus was teaching us? That, that He had to die on the cross. That He had to shed His blood. That He had to die for my sins and your sins so that we could live forever. Could it be that that that's what's happened? John was younger than me, and we both took off running for the tomb. And he outran me. He got there first, but I beat him through the door. I got inside, and I looked, and it was empty. The cloth, the burial cloths were still there, but it was empty. I thought, this must be it. Maybe he has risen from the grave. Didn't he say that he was greater than the temple? Tear the temple down, and I'll rebuild it three days. It's been three days. As I walked back, going back to the upper room, he appeared to me. He gave me great comfort. And he gave me forgiveness. And he said, Peter, you two are going to die in the same way. You're going to be taken to a place where you don't want to go. Later that day, as we were up in the upper room, he appeared to all of us. And it was glorious. He appeared over, over a 40-day period. He appeared to over 500 people. Yeah. We saw him as he ascended into the heavens. And just before he did, he told us, take this good news. Take it to the world. Tell people that I've died for their sins, that they're forgiven, and that they're restored again to the Father. That's what we've been doing for 35 years now. Most of us original disciples have been martyred. And it's for teaching and preaching this message of Jesus Christ that I too will die. Now, I've been told that since I love my Lord so much that I might die in the same way He did to be crucified. I told my jailers, I'm not worthy of dying in the same manner as Jesus. Rumor has it that when I'm crucified, they may do it upside down. Well, you know, the pain is only there for a little while. And then it's gone. 
And I'll be with my Redeemer, my Savior, my Lord, and my friend forever. This time, this time I will not deny Him. I will take my cross gladly. Jesus told us that any man who wants to follow me must take up his cross daily. I take mine up with joy. I look forward to seeing my Savior again. Now, for you, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Continue to suffer for His sake. Don't deny Him. Speak of Him boldly with the great love that He has for us. I must go now. But I pray for you. I hold you up. Thank you for coming to visit me. This hour is mine. Tomorrow I will be executed. Remember Christ and the great sacrifice that He did for you and for the entire world. I pray this in His name. Amen. Peter looked a lot like Paul Wiggs, didn't he? That was, uh, that was of course, our director of men's ministries. And uh, Paul wrote that and uh, has presented it before. And it's a wonderful job that he's done. Thank you for taking us to that place, Paul. We want to prepare our hearts to take of the Lord's Supper together this morning. So if you would just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony that Paul has given to us um, in drama, the sermon that he preached um, in a special way. We thank you, Lord, for um, what it means to us to know that there are those who followed you and continue to follow you even to their death. We pray, Lord, uh, now that we would, um, in our own way, remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and that our hearts would be changed as we partake of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.